My name is Dave Everett, this is my wife Sherry, and we're going to be continuing our Bible study tonight on the Believer's Authority by Andrew Womack. <coughs> we'll be in chapter 3 tonight, if you have a book and you're following with us, uh, we'll be in chapter 3 talking about Satan's inroads. Last week we were talking about uh, uh, whom he may devour, and then we're going to be continuing on that, on that theme in the t- a chapter entitled, Whom He May, uh, excuse me, uh, Satan's Inroads. And so we're going to be talking about that tonight. Just so you know, all of our Bible studies are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And then uh, we thank you again for all of our financial partners and who have supported us with their tithes and offerings. Excuse me, on our, 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 YouTube, our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. <coughs> so anyway, again, we, we thank you for uh, joining us tonight. Uh, just so you know, this is Easter week, uh, Passion Week, as some people know it, and uh, and so we will be having a special Easter message this Sunday. Uh, we live stream at eleven fifteen a.m., and so we will I'll be talking about uh, "Behold, Your Resurrected King." And I'll do my Easter message there, and then we'll resume our our regular Sunday morning Bible study, uh, teaching on uh, the, knowing the Holy Spirit the following week, and then uh, so anyway. So, uh, without further ado, we're going to get into our Bible study tonight. Again, we're in chapter 3. If you have a book and you're following with us, uh, I'm talking about Satan's inroads in our life. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about the believer's authority. We're going to get into what some people might call the more positive stuff. But, you know, uh, if you got to fix a problem, sometimes you got to fix the leak first. <laughs> you know, if you, don't, if you don't fix the leak then whatever you're going to fix is just going to go right back out the, the back door. So we got to we got to uh, eliminate Satan's inroads in our lives so that we can now uh, use our authority. And, and, and anyway, I'll explain that more as we go forward. But at the same point in time, you know, it's important that we <coughs> we can use our authority. Uh, we have it, but at the same point in time, uh, you know, I, I was always taught when I worked, worked my jobs, work smarter, not harder. You know, but we also need to, as much as we need to, be, we can be uh, offensive. Any any, any uh, sports team, baseball, you could have a good batting team, but if they, you can't play well on the field, you're going to lose it on the field. They don't got good pitching, you're going to lose it. Same thing with basketball, football, any major sport, you, 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 you know, you need to have defense and offense. You know, if you can have a great offense scoring all the points, but if you don't have a good defense, the other team's going to score <coughs> all the points too, or if not more. So, you know, we have to be defensive as well as we got to be offensive. And sometimes, you know, we're wanting to use our authority, but, you know, but we're the one that allows Satan in there in the first place. And there's some inroads that we, uh, Satan has, and we... Sometimes, out of ignorance, we just open the door right for him. And so we need to be aware. The Bible says, don't be ignorant of his devices. And so we, we need to uh, not be ignorant. And, you know, when Andrew or Dave say that, uh, or I or whoever says that we've, you know, allowed Satan in, it's not like we're saying each one of us or you opens the door and says, Satan, come on in. You're welcome. That's not what we're saying. It, it's just, uh, I think Dave used the word ignorance, which is a good word. There's some things that we open the door to 
not realizing that it's opening the door, the door to Satan. Yes, there are people who do welcome Satan in, and I'm, I'm not going there. I'm just saying, you know, what we as believers uh, can, can do. Uh, but, you know, getting into the, the, the Bible study will help uh, all of us understand uh, our authority better and misconceptions and different things. All right, well, without further ado, uh, Sherry's going to read for us, and then we're going to talk about it some more. Since we're in a spiritual battle, you can't afford to indulge the luxury of strife. If you think that a certain amount of strife is just normal, the way we're supposed to live, you're wrong. God is a God of peace, Romans 15.33, 16.20, and we were created in His image, Genesis 1.27. The fruit of His Spirit working in our life is peace, Galatians 5.22. Therefore, our life should be full of peace, not strife. I'm not saying that we will ever live totally free from all strife from every source, but you should never just accept it, indulge it, or promote it. You ought to actively stand against and fight it, recognizing that every time you get into strife, a door is open for anything the enemy wants to do in your life. Satan has access to you when you're in strife. I remember being drafted as a soldier in the army. During basic training, there were many situations where explosives were going off around me all the time. We'd go out on maneuvers, pass through low crawl pits with machine guns firing overhead, learn how to use grenades, practice firing our weapons, and many other things. Over a period of six months time in training, I became accustomed to all the noise. It didn't bother me because I knew that we were still in our own country. It was training and nobody was trying to kill me. So I hardened myself to the noise and got to the point where the explosions just didn't mean anything. Then I arrived in Long Vietnam. We got out of our plane at two in the morning, right in the middle of a mortar attack. We literally had to low crawl from the plane to a bunker and hide in it until the attack was over. After we'd been processed a couple of hours later, I remember lying down in a temporary barracks. My cot was actually bouncing up and down from the explosions. Even though I'd heard many similar noises in basic training, it suddenly dawned on me that this wasn't friendly fire anymore. Somebody out there was shooting rockets at us, and I was close enough to hear the explosions. As I lay there on that bouncing bunk, I realized I'm at war. There's an enemy who's trying to kill me. That really sobered me up. Gone was my half-hearted listening to instructions. My instructors didn't have to do anything to get my full attention. When they started the week of training once we arrived, how to adjust to the country, what would be happening, and things like that, I was all ears. The difference was I realized that this was truly life and death. I recognized that I was now in a battle. All right, thank you, Sherry. So there's a few things here I, I think I just want to piggyback on. You know, uh, first of all, we need, it kind of goes back with uh, Chapter 1, what we talked about a few weeks ago. You know, we need to realize we're in a battle, you know. Uh, Andrew uses the, uh, the, the example of kind of basic training versus actually being in the war. And this is a different thing. Training's training. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's, just, it's friendly fire. But when you're in the middle of a war... And rockets are blaring and bullets are flying. You know, it's, it's no more fun and games if this is life and death. You know, 
And I used, to, I used to say all the time, you know, life is not a dress rehearsal. You get to live this life once. And the Satan's out to kill, steal, and destroy you. And uh, he's out to kill and still destroy your faith as well. But at the same point in time, you're in a war. You're in a battle. And we need to realize that. Satan's not playing. It's not friendly fire. He's out to kill you. And he will use deception. He will use other things to get in. <coughs> And one of those things that he gets into, and we've been talking at the beginning of this chapter, I know we've talked about before uh, in this study as well as other study, is strife. James 3.16 says, when there's envy of strife, there's every evil work. And I understand we live in a world where there's strife, and in these last days, there's, that, that strife is going to increase in the world. But that strife does not have to be part of us. You know, we don't have to give in to strife. When there's envy of strife, there's every evil work. And there's a lot of strife in the world and so there's a lot of evil works in the world. You know, strife is one of those things. And there's different, I think there's different, for me, I, I, I there's different kinds of strife. I think, uh, you know, there's strife where there's contention in the relationship, whether that be a marriage or, uh, you know, an employer-employee relationship or, or any type of uh, relationship where there's strife and there's tension and bitterness and unforgiveness and just sandpaper rubbing against sandpaper, what we call sandpaper people, or you're just rubbing you wrong, or, or someone who's just aggravating you, or whatever the case may be. But then I think there's also a form of strife where we're striving to make ends meet. We're striving to to live holy. We're striving to live righteously. And we're doing it in our strength, and not his strength. And so to me, that's also another form of strife as well. I believe we are to live holy. I believe we are to live righteously. But not in our strength, in his strength. There's a big difference. If, you know, we can't, but we should not be able to boast in ourselves, but we can boast in him. And we should, if we're putting our faith in us, we're not putting our faith in him. And that's wrong. And where there's envy and strife, there will be every evil work. And it's a form of strife. It's just, it's, uh, I know some people don't see it that way, but I do. And so, uh, you know, I had addictions. I had hang-ups. And when I tried to fix them on my own, it got worse. <laughs> and But when I, when I realized I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and I allow Him and His righteousness in me to change me from the inside out, I saw, I saw, I saw results. And, uh, and so I didn't, it was, you know, uh, it was kind of productive. The same thing for providing for ourselves, you know. I believe we are the work, and we're work, work hard and diligently. At the same point in time, am I working in my own strength, or am, am I allowing His beauty to bless the work of my hands? Psalm ninety verse seventeen. <coughs> my trust in Him is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life I live, I live by the faith of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Galatians two twenty. You know, and so there's a there's a strife where I'm trusting man on my own flesh for strength. And Jeremiah chapter 17 verses 5 to 6 says that's a cursed man. But the blessed man is the one who trusts the Lord, whose strength is, who, whose trust the Lord is. And in the same passage in Jeremiah 17 verses 7 and 8, uh, God calls that a, a, a blessed man. <coughs> I don't know about you, but it's kind of a, uh, a slow pop quiz. Do you want to be a blessed man or, or a cursed man? Well, I think most of us want to be blessed, not cursed. And so trusting in God, not yourself, not others, is, uh, is how we are blessed and not cursed. And so 
And, you know, the opposite of that is doing in your own strength, trusting other people, is a form of strife. And it's a curse. It's a curse. It's a, it's a, it's every evil work. And so there's a lot of different things where we do things in, in His strength. And how, how do I do things in His strength? Well, first of all, rely, you know, faith, one of the definitions of faith is relying on Him. I'm relying on Him as my provider, as my healer. Just, you know, a few, uh, several, three months ago, I did a teaching on the seven redemptive names of God. You know, he's my healer. He's my banner. He's my victory. He's my salvation. You know, that's not the name of God, but he is my salvation. And he's my, uh, he's, there's so many different things, but I'm trusting him. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. I'm trusting him and not myself. And, you know, uh, when I get my trust on other things and not God, it will be, I believe, every evil work. Because I'm striving to do it. And I'm not allowing God to do it. <coughs> you know, if I'm not allowing God to do it, then he can't. He's not going to force himself to do it. But, you know, I need to submit myself to God and then resist the devil and he will flee. James 4, 7. You know, uh, a lot of times when we're trying to resist the devil, we're talking about believers' authority, but we need to submit to God. You know, trying to resist the devil without submitting to God, is, in my opinion, is strife. <laughs> God says he resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. In the same passage in James chapter 4, you know, uh, what's pride? Pride says, I got this. Humility says, Lord, I need your help. Help me. And uh, it's drawing near to God and he will draw near to you. It's submitting yourself to God and he, uh, you know, humble yourself inside the Lord. He will lift you up. You know, when you, tr hum humility is trusting God. Excuse me. When David came on the scene of Goliath, he didn't trust in his own height and stature and his war-keeping capabilities. You know, his, his trust was in the name of the Lord, his covenant relationship he had with God. And he, he, he appeared as cocky to his own brother, Eliab. <coughs> but David was trusting God, and he was submitting to God, trusting God, relying on God, and he had so much confidence in God, he knew that that giant was coming down. And he was going to come down. He was going to wait another 40 days. He was coming down the day. He was coming down the moment he was released to go out there. And he, yes, he gathered five stones, but he only needed one. And so uh, on the first shot, a giant came down. Why? Because David trusted God, not himself. Yeah, because when the armies of Israel were wallowing 40 days, they were trusting themselves. They're striving every evil work. So anyway. You know, that, that strife, you know, Dave made a comment, because usually when we think of strife, we think of two people arguing, and there's strife. And yes, that's part of it. But uh, there can be strife on the inside of people. You know, I, I've gone periodically through uh, in periods of my own life, <coughs> just on the inside, I just, I feel full of strife, and I'm just struggling. Like, I, I just, if there was a, uh, a real life person in front of me, I, I would just uh, at them because of how I was feeling on the inside. And it it's funny because I was just talking to someone today about how someone in their family uh, just sometimes has to go in their room and they say, you know, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm so mad on the inside, I don't know why. And they go in the room till they get <coughs> over it. But 
as we're talking, as I'm hearing Dave and I'm hearing Andrew, I'm realizing really the only times that I dealt with that internal strife was when I wasn't relying on God. And I, I hated those times. But the more I had a relationship with God, those times have almost vanished except for the times when I set the word of God aside because I'm busy or whatever reason and then, you know, days might go by because I, I just have other things on my mind or on my plate. Uh, and then I can feel that, that strife coming back on and I know immediately how to deal with it is to get back into right relationship with God. God has never left me. He's been waiting patiently for me, but I was the one who had to, to who I didn't have to. I was the one who turned aside for whatever reason. Uh, I, you know, I could have all these excuses. I'm busy. I'm tired. I have to deal with this. You know, this is stressful. Whatever it is, but those are the times when I need God more. I shouldn't put him down because I have to get this done or that done or or whatever it might be. And and I always get back into peace when I'm back into God's Word, when I'm back into talking with Him and the Holy Spirit and realizing who I am in Christ, that He made me righteous for, because of what He did on the cross. Um, I was listening to a Bible teacher uh, this week and, and la actually for a couple weeks because he has a series but he was and he was talking and trying to explain the righteousness and he did a great job but one thing that stood out was that because he has given us righteousness and made us righteous part of that righteousness is being in peace and it's interesting that Andrew brings out being in, in peace with God versus in strife and which is letting the, the enemy in. You know, and uh, I had in my notes because we talked this Bible say before, you know, this strife, this whole attitude of strife, fear, anxiety. Uh, there's a lot of different words I can use to describe it. You know, we can get so intoxicated with our problems with the world, with things going on at work and different things. Uh, right now, you know, with everything going on in the world, if we can get very intoxicated with all, all that's going on. And, you know... It goes back to our last chapter where we talk about, you know, enemies seeking who you may devour. When you're not sober, and I'm not talking necessarily about alcohol. I'm talking about when you're not sober-minded. Uh, because you are, you are frazzled about something, you're distressed. Almost every sickness comes from stress, worry of some sort. What I described a minute ago was another form of strife. You know, when uh, when that that's a case, you're, you're intoxicated with strife. I mean, you're just working on both ends. And, you know, I'm not saying there's not seasons where we sometimes we have to work hard. But at the same point in time, there's an attitude of strife. And when we're so intoxicated, then we are prey for the enemy to devour us. And that's where every evil work comes as well. These two thoughts go hand in hand. And so how do we get Sober, uh, you know, Andrew used idea, uh, the example of Vietnam. I believe the way we get sober is the way that David did many times in the Psalms. David would, he would, he would vent his heart. You know, 
I don't like what's going on. I don't like, why are you so downcast on my soul? Put your hope in God. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. You know, he would encourage himself in the Lord. And worship is a great way to do that. Coming together as a body of Christ so we can spur one another on to good deeds is another way. Getting into the Word. You know, just uh, going to your prayer closet, whatever that's like, going on a walk, uh, whatever that place it is, and that secret place you got, and just talk to God, talk to your Abba, talk to your, your friend, the Holy Spirit, as we're talking about briefly on Sundays. You know, it's just a... Uh, um, you know, there's ways that we can get sober. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Humble yourself and decide the Lord that He will lift you up. There's, you know, we have to learn to det detox from this world. We have to learn to, you know, a lot of times when we work hard, we come home, we unwind, some of us go uh, sit in front of the, the TV and different things, you know. Uh, but we have to spiritually detox from the world, too. Sometimes we've got so much information coming in. You know, uh, we just need some time with God and, and become sober so that they, you know, and it kind of goes with our, our study on uh, uh, Sunday nights, talking that we're talking, talking about meditating on His Word day and night. Meditating on His Word day and night is going to keep you mentally and spiritually sober. Uh, you can either meditate on all of your problems and things in this world day and night and become intoxicated by that. Or you could not be uh, drunk with wine, but be drunk with the Holy Spirit and be so consumed and, and with the Holy Spirit that you, uh, you know, it says in uh, Ephesians 5.18 that we, uh, uh, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms, singing with making melody in our hearts to the Lord. You know, uh, we can get our minds on Him. And, and Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 4, but the peace of God guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We need to get our minds and our thoughts on Jesus. And so uh, those are ways that we can intoxicate ourselves. And sometimes, I mean, when it's extreme, sometimes I got to put on the worship songs. And I got to put them up a few notches and maybe several notches. You know, uh, sometimes I need and uh, sometimes when it's really extreme, I just need to call a friend. I need to call a pastor. I need to call somebody and not do this alone. Uh, God never intended us to do this alone. And we can uh, come and, and, and together and, and be encouraged. And, you know, there's times we, even we have to do that. So, Yeah, and, you know, don't get down on yourself for going through, you know, seasons of, of strife or, or, or different things. You know, this, this is a learning process for all of us to be able to rely on the Lord and choose to rely on the Lord uh, instead of getting, you know, down on ourselves for just failing or whatever. You know, everyone in the Bible, all the heroes of faith had learning curves to deal with. They had things in their faces. You know, Abraham was went years without having a biological son and then ended up stepping out of faith with his wife, Sarah, to conceive a son through Sarah's handmaiden. That wasn't God's will. Um, they, they were trying to help God and thought that was the you know, way to go. But it, it wasn't. And Abraham had to be reminded of God's promise, of God's word, and to stand on it. And 
he's one of the heroes of faith. You know, he he was he he was not only uh, made righteous because of his of his faith, if, if I'm saying it right, um, but he also was a friend of God, and you know he it, it says in the the New Testament, and I'm sorry I don't have the reference for you, but it says that that he wavered not. He held fast to the promise, even when all the natural whatever's going on in his life, you know, both him and his wife being old and past the age of, of childbearing, you know, he, he could have in the natural looked at all of that and said, well, okay, it's, you know, past my time, you know, it's not going to happen. So God's going to have to do it another way. No, he said, God gave me this word. I, I'm, I'm holding on. And his example of faith is still preached on and shared in the Bible today to encourage us. And, you know, even even Paul the Apostle went through so much grief in his life of being stoned and thrown in jail and shipwrecked and everything. He could have very easily in the natural state in strife or depressed, uh, downcast, all just, you know, weeping every night. And, and, but instead, you know, he trusted the Lord. He learned to be content. He learned to be in peace because he was like, you know what? All of this is rubbish. My past failures are rubbish. My past uh, things that I did right is all rubbish. It's all rubbish compared to the, the knowledge of Jesus Christ and knowing him. And he put his own life into perspective so that he can encourage the church that we need to put things in the proper perspective and really trust God first, no matter what the world is saying, no matter what it's saying in the natural. All right, let's go to the next section. Seeds are being planted. <clears throat> Whether you realize it or not, you are now in a battle. Remember, Satan is walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The devil is trying to destroy your life today. You could become overwhelmed with that and fearful, but God is also going about seeking who will respond to him. He's trying to get his anointing, power, and blessings into your life. There's no reason to panic and freeze up in fear because the Lord is infinitely greater than the devil. However, you do need to sober up and realize that we're in a battle. You can't afford the luxury of indulging your negative emotions and getting into the flesh. I minister to people all the time who desire the results they see in my life, but aren't willing to do what I do. They want to sit and watch as the stomach turns on television. They watch R and X-rated movies, indulging negative emotions that I would never indulge. I recognize that there is a spiritual battle going on, and if I ever began to open up and allow such things into my heart and mind, Satan would take advantage of it. So I live a very restricted life, refraining from many things that other people do. Psalm 101, verse 3. Although many people would like to see blind eyes and deaf ears opened, terminal diseases healed, the dead raised, and financial blessings manifest the way I have, by God's grace, they're not willing to spend the time yielding to and fellowshipping with the Lord in His Word, prayer, and obedience. They'd rather be out in the world indulging their flesh and thinking, it's not hurting me to do all of this stuff. It may not hurt them at that moment, but seeds are being planted. 
You can't be tempted with something you don't think. Hebrews 11.15 If you would quit opening yourself up to envy, strife, division, and all the other negative things our society uses for entertainment, Satan wouldn't have these inroads into your life. Yeah, Andrew brings out some good points here, you know. Uh, sometimes we don't realize it, and, you know, we, like uh, he says, uh, it's not, some of these things are not hurting me, and they might not be hurting you in the moment, but the seeds are being planted. You know, everything is, comes from a seed. Every thought, every emotion, every word that we say or we hear are seeds. And, uh, you know, we don't understand the power of, of some of those things, and, <coughs> you know, we want faith like Andrew, or we want faith uh, a ministry like Wigglesworth, who's uh, makes a lot of awesome miracles. But these men of God would not indulge in the world like most of us do. Now, some of you might not consider yourself worldly, but what do you listen to? What music, TV, movies do you listen to? What occupies this mind? What occupies your thinker? <coughs> you know, what do you indulge in? Um, I, and I know some of us are just ignorant. We don't realize how effective it is, but it's effective. Sherry and I don't, haven't had a TV. We don't watch regular TV in 20 years. We do watch movies, and we do watch those regularly. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we you know... Uh, and there's some other things that we, we've done. But at the same point in time, we pick and choose. We don't have regular TV. We don't listen to the news. Uh, there's a lot of things we don't listen to we, we, we're not a part of. And we won't be a part of. And we have no desire to be a part of. And we refuse to be a part of. And we're okay with not being a part of. You know? You know we're okay with being different than the average person. Sometimes even as a Christian, we're okay with that. You know, we're not competing. We're not comparing notes here. We're just, you know, we just there's some lines in the sand. We said in this house, we're not going to do that. We're not going to participate with certain things. And we have, you know, sometimes we even have to go down an individual level. You know, what's going to occupy our minds? Sometimes it depends. What are we feeding our minds? First of all, you know. If we're never feeding our minds some of this stuff, then we don't. It's never going to occupy. <coughs> I mean, uh, Andrew has another story where he tells me he went to New York City, was trying to evangelize, and he was approached by a hooker. He didn't even know what a hooker was, and some of the things a hooker was trying to entice him with, he had no clue what it was, and he couldn't be tempted with something he wasn't tempted. With. I mean, he just had no. He wouldn't know. You know, it's kind of like what Paul says. I think it's in uh, Romans seven. It says. I would never have known to covet if the law didn't say don't covet. I wouldn't even know what covetousness was. You know? But uh, anyway, I'm going on some tangents here. It's just, uh, you know, we, we want a ministry and results like Andrew and other people raising the dead, healing the sick, and seeing some other uh, breakthroughs. But are we willing to do what they, they do? Are we willing to have a lifestyle that do? You know, Andrew teaches in other studies, I think we've touched on it on our Sunday night Bible study, but he will spend hours and hours pray, uh, uh, in the Word. He'll spend hours praying in the Holy Spirit, uh, praying in tongues, so, you know, privately. He'll spend hours doing some of this stuff, and yet, some of us, for us, even get five minutes, even an hour in, and if, 
is like pulling teeth, and it's it's not something, it's not something we just naturally do, and it's not about the quantity of time so much, even though there is something to that. It's you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes at the end of our day or on the weekend, what's the first thing you if if you could have time, and some of us during this COVID we've had nothing but time. <coughs> What do you gravitate for? You know, this COVID thing really hasn't affected me a lot because I haven't stopped doing what I normally do. <laughs> I do everything I normally do all the time. Uh, you know, I mean, I had a conversation with somebody today, you know, uh, he was looking forward to Fridays almost here. And I'm like, I like every day of the week. <laughs> I like what I do Monday through Friday. I like having uh, a different day on Saturday. Sundays, we're pastors, so Sundays uh, sometimes my favorite day of the week. But I like what I do every day, and so I don't have a favorite day. I, you know, I I used to know what that meant looking forward to Friday, but I I I, I mean, I love Sundays because I love what we do. But I'm also I love Mondays. I have a competition now between I don't know if my favorite day of the week is is Monday or Sunday. Because I know Monday I get to do what I like to do all week long. And then I get, then I, then Sunday becomes like the icing on the cake. Saturday is just kind of, I can, you know, either thing, you know, we, we can do something different or fun or ordinary, which we like ordinary, you know. So anyway, I'm getting on some tangents again, but I, I forgot my point I was even trying to make now. <laughs> Uh, you know, I got so I got my I made myself happy with talking about all the days of the week. Uh, but anyway, just you know, um, it just I think I was talking about what do you value? What's you know? Uh, and I crave being in the Word. I crave studying the Word. I crave <coughs> yes, I love being with my wife, but I love just being with my da- my daddy, my Abba, you know, and just uh, spending time with him. And so it's just, uh, but. I also know I could spend more time, and, and I could also spend more quality time with the time that I spend with him at times. So I, I know one area I can improve, I can pray in the Spirit more. I'm, you know, and there's some things that even I can weed out of my life. And uh, I don't think, like you might be like me, where you're not necessarily doing anything that would be considered sin or evil or wrong. But at the same point in time, is it good? Is it lovely? Is it is it gonna edify, you know. And I'm okay with us having some hobbies and whatnot. I have some areas. I mean, uh even Andrew has stuff like that he likes to do and, and whatnot. But uh you know but what's our most dominant desire craving? And uh some of us, you know, we if we the first chance we get we'll go to the bar or we'll we'll watch uh something we shouldn't watch or whatever the case may be, you know, we know uh when we get a chance, that's what we'll, we'll gravitate to, you know. But, you know, uh, I just, I actually have to pull myself away to watch TV and stuff. I could actually, you know, uh, and I'm not, I don't mean this in a negative way. And I, I mean it in a positive way. But if I was single, I would probably be spending all my time being the Word and, and studying and different things of that nature, you know. And uh, But I'm not. And, 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 I, and I'm not on choice because I... I do want to spend time with my wife. I do enjoy the married life. I do enjoy other things. But at the same point in time, you know, it. Uh, I also know I, I, I need to prioritize those things. And so sometimes I pull my way, myself away from some things. So, so uh, she doesn't feel neglected or whatnot. And I hope, I'm not saying that in a negative way. I don't mean that in a negative way, you know. But at the same point in time, I'm saying that in a positive way. I just, 
I get so caught up in what I do that I just love it. I just love, and what do I do? Spend time with God and, and the Word. And I do other things. I work. I have other jobs and, and different things. But my most favorite thing that I can do is just being in the Word and studying and, and things of that nature. So. Reminds me of a Charlie and Joe long song. I believe it's called My Favorite Place to Be. And uh, Joe uh, is the main vocal. And she sings about just her favorite place to be is just being in his presence and being in his word is such a, a lovely reminder. And you know, when we're talking about you know the choices we make and what we use to fill up our time and, and everything, you know, there are things like Dave was saying that aren't bad, but just, just think of this. When we say yes to something, we're saying no to something else. If I am doing this thing over here, it might be a good hobby, it might be you know something that needs to be done or whatever, but I am saying no to maybe being in God's Word. You know, I'm blessed uh, with a job that I can pop on a sermon or a Bible study or a Bible class or worship music all day long. Um, and, you know, I, I that's 95% of my time when I, where I pop on something to listen to, it's all God's Word. But once in a while, I will choose to listen to music that is not uh, worship music. It might be something that just my favorite artist from growing up or something. I just feel nostalgic and want to listen to that or listen to the musicals or whatever. But again, it, it, it does boil down to a lot of, of choice. You know, Andrew is a good example because he chose, when he fell in love with the Lord, like really big, and, and if you listen to his testimonies of, of back when he was a teenager and just really got on fire for the Lord, you know, he, he, he really made that choice to be in God's Word, but he had that, that, uh, almost like a love interest, like when you're a boyfriend and girlfriend and they're the person, they're the, your special person. And he, he had that with God and he just got in a good uh, habit, I guess you could say, of just being in the Word, being in the Word. And it came so much a part of him that he can't do anything else. And, that, and that's Andrew. And you know the rest of us are like, man, I wish I was more like Andrew. I wish I was in the Word more. But it started out, you know, he when he first started out, you know, he had to make that choice. He, he had to come to a place within himself where he chose to be in God's Word. He fell in love with God's Word. And then it became a lifestyle. And, you know, we really need to think about you know, I, I believe it was it was Dave who said we, we don't always realize the impact a choice or whatever we're doing in life has on something else. And and Andrew and Dave were talking about seeds. Seeds are being planted. You know, you could relax after a hard day's work and you know just sit in front of it uh, of the TV and watch a show or watch a movie or read a book or whatever you do for a hobby. 
And that, that's all fine and good. I mean, God created us to have downtimes and to, to relax and to have Sabbaths. But it, it, what's that seed? What's that seed being planted in you? You know, one of the most clean TV shows I could probably think of right now is the Andy Griffith Show. And uh, I've gone through seasons of my life where I, I, I'm in, a, in, a, in a, uh, a season where I just, that, that's the show I, I'm in the mood for and I'll watch it. And it's all good. It's all clean with good morals. But it is keeping me away from doing something uh, that might be, you know, being in God's word, reaching out to someone, praying, praying in the spirit. Um, and so we, we're just talking about what, what type of seeds do we want planted in our garden so that we can reap the harvest that uh, we're talking about. Awesome. Awesome. Very good. Okay, let's uh, read the next section, Mr. Critical. Once I led a man to the Lord who had a pretty rough background. After being born again, he joined our church and began criticizing everything. He criticized people for using soap because it wasn't natural. He could have used a lot of soap too. He needed it. He criticized people because they peeled their potatoes and the skin was the most nutritious part. This guy just had an opinion about everything. I didn't find out until later, but this fellow had been the first person ever indicted by the California grand jury three times before he was a teenager. He had lived in reformatory since the age of five. Because of all of this and growing up around so much strife, there is a tremendous amount of anger and resentment in him. After a couple months, he came to me one day and said, I'm leaving this church. I'm going back out into the desert because there's too much strife here. I just got bold and told him, yes, there is strife in this church, but it's all coming from you. There wasn't any strife among the members until you came in here and started criticizing everybody. You're the source of this strife. Really? I didn't realize it. You didn't realize that when you criticize people over everything they do, that they aren't going to like that? This brother just sat down and began to tell me about his background. Then he said, I guess I just didn't realize it was strife. I just thought it was normal. Then he continued saying, if you were to tell me to act healed when I felt feel sick, I can do that because I felt healed before. But when you're telling me to walk in love, I guess I don't know how to do that. I have never felt love before. I had to take this guy and start teaching him through the life of Jesus what it's like to love people. Some people from a background where screaming, yelling, and throwing things were normal. There are plenty of families. There are plenty of families like that, but it's not the way God wants us to be. James 3.16 I've always liked this story from Andrew. I know it might not be a popular one, but, you know, Mr. Critical, you know, he got saved. He guess he had a rough background. You know, there's a there's a story behind it. At the same point in time, you know, he finally got, he said, I'm going to leave because there's too much strife in this church. And I appreciate Andrew says, yeah, there's strife in this church because you brought it. <laughs> You know, you're the source of strife. You know, this guy didn't realize that, uh, you know, he, people don't like to be around critical people. You know, and we've had them. We've, we've had them in our church. We've had them in our homes, you know. And just the critical, critical people, you know. They might, and at the same point in time, I, part of me understands to a certain degree, like this guy, 
There's a reason why they're that way. That doesn't make it right, and that needs to be healed. <coughs> but, you know, when you, uh, it's, again, it's another form of strive. Uh, just like I'm, we've already mentioned, you know, someone who attention in a relationship or doing it in your own strength. Uh, but this is another one, just being critical. You know, you can be critical about everything. And some things, need, you know, can be criticized to a certain degree. But are you looking what's wrong with everything? Or you got to look what's right with everything. You know, there's a lot of things I can complain that's going on in our world. And I think there's a time and a place to voice some of that. At the same point in time, I'm not going to focus on that all day long. There's a time and there's a place <coughs> to to speak your peace. But that's not going to, you know, uh, and it's not every day. And it's not going to be my focus. And I'm not going to be critical. You know, I'm going to I'm going to take this time to preach the gospel. I'm going to take this time to speak what's good and speak of his goodness. And there's, a, there's again, there's a time and place sometimes to speak up and to and to uh, whatnot in society and whatnot. And I'm not against that entirely. And actually, I believe some of the reasons why we're having so much problem in society is because we haven't spoken up like we should. At the same point in time, you know, I don't want to be a Mr. Critical person. You know, when you are focusing on everything that's going wrong every single day, you will become critical. You will become critical. It's seeds being planted, and you are actually training yourself to be a critical person. And you can bring that criticalness into your family, into your church, into your own relationship with God, and, and, and to your job. You know, I don't want to be a critical person. And so I have to guard my heart with all diligence because out of it springs issues of life. You know, and so I don't want to be a critical person. I know sometimes we can be even extra critical when we're tired and different things. And just because I say that's natural, I'm not saying that's normal or that's right. You know? Uh, you know, I don't want to... Yes, there's natural things that are normal naturally, but I'm not natural. I'm born again. I'm spiritual. And whatever is natural to me is not normal. And some people think I'm weird. Well, I'm, I'm going to quote Andrew. I think you're weird. You know, I, I, I just... Uh, being natural is not normal. Uh, being spiritual is. Now, I don't want to be so spiritual-minded. I know earthly good. I'm not talking about that. I mean, I think that's wrong. We're the salt of the earth. So, you know, you can, you can have too much salt in something. It's not tasteful. You, you have to have the right amount of seasoning. But I want to be spiritually-minded, not naturally-minded. Because Romans 8, 6 says, To be naturally-minded is death. But to be spiritually-minded is life and peace. And if you're focused, you're being intoxicated by all the criticalness of this world all day long as your most dominant downtime information. <coughs> I don't know if what I just said makes sense, but you, when your normal downtime is you're in the news and, and social media, again, all the critical stuff of this world, and you're feeding and meditating on that, <coughs> excuse me, day and night. You'll become a critical person, and you know they'll come and it will evolve into every area of your life. And I'm not going to tell you that we we don't need to be involved and, and be uh, aware of some things, but I'm going to be dominated by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God and by praying in the Spirit and being fellowship 
with family, with uh, my wife, with uh, family, and also in the body of Christ, the family of God. And so uh, that's got to be dominant. At the same point in time, you know, there's a place to speak up and, and, and deal with things. I mean, throughout history, throughout Old and New Testament, there was times they had to address things. Paul did. Other people did. You know, but that wasn't the most dominant thing that they did. Paul preached the gospel. Yes, there were times that he addressed things. He addressed, uh, you know, he addressed them. Uh, I think it was Philippi when he was uh, beaten for uh, the Roman citizen, and he addressed it. But that wasn't, he didn't write a whole book about that. He, he preached the gospel, you know. And so, and there's time to speak up. There's a time to do things. There's a time, in a sense, to criticize things. But I don't want to be a mystical. I don't want to get stuck in that rut, with that mindset, with that attitude, with that seed. I know I'm going to be a part. I want to speak life. I want to speak. I'll be a positive person. I want mercy and grace to come out of my mouth uh, as the most dominant thing. You know, there's a time to speak up, but I, I, you know, anyway, I hope I'm making sense. And you know, it's the this verse came to mind as I was listening to Dave and uh, wanting to share uh, an example. But it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. You know, if we're thinking that God is a horrible, mean, nasty God, you know, we're, we're all of us going to be thinking, you know, why would I want to serve God? Why would I want a relationship with Him? Um, but, you know, when you're around a critical person or even critical yourself, you know, not people just don't want to be around that. You know, if I'm in a bad mood or being critical or complaining, you know, bless Dave's gracious heart. You know, he wants to be with me because he loves me. But, you know, if I'm going to continue in that funk, you know, his reaction is, well, you know, fine. You know, and I'm saying this with love because he says it in love. But he's like, if, if that's what you're going to be like, then I'm going to go and do something over here. But, I, but the example that I keep bringing back to, whether the effortless change or even believer's authority is the the movie, the Mr. Rogers movie, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I was really impacted on it because there is a prime example of the, the writer, magazine writer guy, who is so critical, so judgmental, so angry because of his past and, and his dad uh, is uh, leaving the, the family and his his mom dying and so he just wherever he went he caused strife he there was strife in their marriage because his, his wife was really trying to hold on to everything um, and try to you know be a part of his life but he he wanted to you know push her away and be judgmental and be like no I gotta do this because it's my life and I'm not gonna forgive my dad and and when he was given a, an assignment to write about someone who turned out to be Mr. Rogers, it turned out that everyone else who he had written about was like, I don't want him to write about me anymore because he is just so critical. Uh, but Mr. Rogers chose to have this critical writer write about him and he couldn't figure out why would Mr. Rogers want me to write about him. And the security guard when he answered the question that the writer had about you know, why would Mr. Rogers pick me, the security guard said, because Mr. Rogers loves people like you. 
And the, the writer got, he couldn't figure it out. Why would someone love me? I'm just, I am not a nice person to be around. I'm like, am I broken? You know, what's wrong with me? But he was around the influence of Mr. Rogers, who loved people, who was gentle with people, who didn't deal with, with strife the way it's normally dealt with. He just, he let it go. He kept his, he kept God's peace in him so that he could be at peace and, and share that peace. And it's, and it created the in, such an impact on this writer. You could see the change in the movie where he just, he, he, his whole demeanor softened. He loved people. He, he was able to love his wife and, and talk to his wife and love his own child because he had a hard time loving his son because of the influence that his own dad had on his life and he was scared to love his son but there you can see the difference between the very critical writer in the beginning to someone who could you know love life and forgive and love and um, it, it was such a difference and you know we don't realize you know when we're you know in strife whether in, internally with strife or strife with other people or with whatever's going on in our in our lives whether it's sickness or lack or whatever uh, there is such a big difference being in strife or being in peace which is you know what Andrew's bringing out about the influence of the enemy or the influence of God who's a God of love and peace you're good you're good so um, I think we're just about out of time so yeah I think I'm gonna wrap it up there uh, we have, uh, we'll finish this next week. Uh, we're almost done with chapter three, but uh, it's good stuff. I don't, I don't mean to cut it off. Uh, you have more? No, just, you know, back to the, the, the verse, I think it's in, in James. It talks about, I think it's James, about every evil work. Stri- oh, yeah, yeah, James 3. You know, I believe it's that same passage that talks about godly wisdom and ungodly wisdom and... You know, all this strife, all this evil and, and everything, you know. Like Dave said at the beginning, you know, do, do you, you want to be blessed or do you want to be cursed? You know, who's going to be want to choose the, the, the curse? You know, who wants to be cursed? Nobody does. But Andrew, uh, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, has... Uh, brought out this book so that we could learn how to not be in strife, how to go about being in the authority that God's giving us versus, you know, all the stuff in the world and our, the turmoil in our own selves, you know, just really getting us down. And that's, you know, that's basically the enemy. He comes to still kill and destroy. And we so easily let that be an influence in our lives without realizing it. Sometimes we do realize it. Or we can choose, wait a minute. God has a purpose and a plan for me. God has given me authority as a believer. He has adopted me as his own child. I do have an an inheritance in him. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You know, and just bringing out, you know, choosing the life of blessing is... Just knowing who we are and, and saying, wait a minute, God has good for me. 
I'm going to choose that. But there is a way to get there, and Andrew has uh, been able to, with God's help, uh, live this out so that he can turn around and help us live this out. Well, I'm going to stretch out. Uh, don't forget we have a, uh, I know you have a, probably a lot of invites this weekend to <clears throat> watch uh, for, for Easter service. So we will archive all of our messages. But anyway, we're going to be talking, we'll have an Easter message this Sunday at 11.15 a.m. We'll, we'll live stream it. It'll be archived. And I'll be talking about beholding your resurrected king. So uh, anyway, okay. Uh, Lord, we worship you, we magnify you, we thank you that you are our resurrected King. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we can, we don't have to be critical, we don't have to be in strife, but Lord, we can be blessed because we trust you, and we can think about whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is a good report, whatever is of you, we can keep our mind focused on these things. Lord, teach us to guard our hearts and our minds because out of them flows the issues of life. <clears throat> Teach us to guard our hearts from negative seeds and attitudes and mindsets from even entering into our, our mind. We're talking about inroads. These are just things, strife and, and criticalness and all these different things are, are ways that we can get so intoxicated that we don't even realize we're, we're drunk. We're drunk on these things. We might not be drunk on wine or alcohol, but we are drunk on the cares of this life, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of many things, of riches. In order that the Lord help us to keep our minds stayed upon you, Lord, because we trust in you. You said you will keep us in perfect peace through his mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you. Lord, teach us how to do that. Teach us how to weed out the, the excess, the stuff we don't need, the, the negative influences, and to dominate a life with walking in you, walking in the Spirit, that we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. We worship you. We magnify you. Bless us as we go. In your name we give you thanks. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good week. And we'll see you on Sunday.